Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You know, we have this bias where we think that everybody wants a thing. And also, there's this part of us that thinks that a thing will be remembered longer because you'll reference it or you'll see it more. But actually, researchers show that recipients prefer these experiential gifts. Even though you don't use it on a daily basis, your recollection of it is more positive. Did you guys run out of words? <laughs> Why is that the same word? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a very good question, but I don't know the answer to that. I wish I'd never, ever thought of that idea because it took me about 400 hours to research every car, what model it was, and then buy it and finally source it and everything else. And then it turns out I got all the wrong colours of the cars. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Ryan, we got a, an email through from Peter Dietz from Unwrap It. And this was a really good email. He's made a request. So let me read this email to you. Sounds good. He says, I've been enjoying the Intuitive Customer Podcast. Thanks for all the work you do on this on a weekly basis. I'm working backwards through the archive and hopefully get caught up sometime in September. So I hope you've got caught up, Peter. He's basically said, I wondered if you could do an episode on corporate and incentive gifts and how they can positively or negatively impact customer experience. What's the evidence that uh, gifts deepen relationships, increase in retention loyalty, trigger positive emotions that become part of the peak end rule? His company, Unwrap It, has built a platform that companies can use to personalize gift experiences for large groups of customers and employees. And he'd love to understand some pearls of wisdom. So obviously he's not asking me, he must be asking you. <laughs> and in true expert fashion, I'm going to pass off to somebody else to answer these questions instead of answering myself. Peter, thank you for the email. We encourage anyone to write in if they got questions. It's such a nice change to get a suggested topic in an email instead of the hate mail that we usually get, Colin. Very refreshing. <laughs> that was very nice. Thank you. you you got to love those trolls. I'm right. yeah. So gift giving. Is it an active area of research? There's been lots and lots of research that's been done on this, and I could have read up on it and kind of faked my way through it as best I could. But lucky for us all, just down the hall from me at Emory University is a scholar who studies gift giving. She's also a marketing professor and a good friend of mine. So we invited onto the podcast Morgan Ward. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Morgan. Hi. So Morgan is an assistant professor of marketing here at the Goizueta Business School at Emory University in Atlanta. And despite the fact that she sees me almost every day, she was still willing to spend this extra time. I think maybe because we're we're doing this from separate offices on the same floor. I think I think that makes me more tolerable. I'm already starting to question Morgan's judgment. You know that, don't you? <laughs> hey, you do this a lot more than she does, Colin. So <laughs> careful. Good point. Uh, I know, Morgan, this is like a, a, just a huge literature, dates back decades, it spans psychology and anthropology. And Can you summarize all of the wisdom of 
gift giving research in, I don't know, like 30 seconds. Ready? Go. Oh, no, no. Okay, that's like, right. absolutely not. That was really mean of me. <laughs> Why don't we start here? Tell us just generally the research approach. So how is gift giving studied in general? How are gifts defined maybe as constructs? Are there any particular questions that got you kind of initially excited in this area? Yeah, so gift giving and the research on it has really changed. It actually started in sociology. There's a book by Marcel Moss, and it started talking about and thinking about the social role that gifts play in creating and sort of keeping relationships close and embedded in one another. And essentially, he theorized, and we found later in in controlled experiments, that essentially gifts are based on this fundamental feeling that people have that once they give something, the other person should return it. And that idea is captured in the word reciprocity. So we feel like after we receive something, somebody should then give something to us or we should give something to them. And that sort of propels relationships into the future. And so it started out as a really qualitative idea. And now we test it using really controlled conditions and sort of endow people with gifts or have them imagine or actually receive gifts. And then we look at what happens in response and how those exchanges affect relationships. So gift giving as a kind of a basis of relationships built around this idea of reciprocity or, or obligation. When I was first learning about gift giving as a the science of it, this was surprising to me. I, I see, I've always thought of gift giving as this really benevolent action. This is such a nice thing that's being done. But reciprocity has this kind of hard edge of obligation that underlies it. I know there's also research showing that gifts can be a way of kind of enforcing norms or imposing one's preferences on others. Can you talk about any of those findings or those theories? Right. There's so many agendas that people have when they're giving gifts. The one that people endorse having is altruism, right? Like, oh, I'm here to give you a gift that satisfies some need in you. And I I really care. And I'm looking for that item that makes you the most pleased. But actually, there's a lot of other agendas people have either consciously or unconsciously. One of those agendas is to give people gifts that remind you as the recipient of the relationship between you. Another one is to give people gifts that guide or lead or lead them in some way towards other behaviors. So sort of a paternalistic gift. Can you give us some examples of any of those? Yeah. So say that you think, for instance, that a parent of yours is overweight. And so you give them personal training lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? That's random. It's totally random. Now I realize why my kids have been giving me those personal (laughs) training. You wait till I see them next. (laughs) Right. So it's a gift plus an agenda. So what you're saying is there's research on gift giving about how to end a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) There are gifts that end relationships. Absolutely. Okay, so that that would be the paternalistic? That would be a paternalistic. And what was the other one you said, uh, kind of maintaining the relationship or signaling the relationship? This idea of altruism has this ability embedded in it that the giver is so understanding and so intuitive about the recipient that he or she is able to pick a gift that perfectly matches the recipient's preferences. And what that really says is, 
I know you super well. I pay attention to your needs and desires. And therefore, we have a really close relationship. So that gift has a message in it above and beyond just, oh, I'm satisfying something that you want. So this is going, it's sort of proving that you know this person. So again, I'm, I'm thinking in a business context of business to business, I know that you support this football team or soccer team or whatever else. And I know something about you that maybe other people don't know. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So a lot of times people think a good gift is an expensive gift, but that is not the only resource that we value as recipients. We also value things like the giver's insight and effort into finding a gift that really pleases us. So good gifts these ones that actually attempt to please recipients and indicate the giver's knowledge of recipients often have many resources that the giver puts forward to, to procure these gifts. And did you say that they have to be of a same value? That's a good question. It indicates that value is, is one kind of thing. I would say if you look at value abstractly and you think of it as all different resources, people tend to keep track Again, sometimes this isn't explicit of how much value each individual is putting into the items or the things that they're exchanging. So in communal relationships, as those would be friends or relationship that have like a friend quality to it. We don't enforce this quid pro quo where like I give you something and you give me something of exactly equal value. But in general, we exchange gifts that have sort of an equality about them. So maybe I watch your dog for the weekend and then you pick me up from the airport if I, if I come in one day late or something. So they have sort of equal values, but they're not identical gifts. And is this where you say, I've done someone a favor, but they're not reciprocating? I mean, is that a similar thing? Well, it's certainly a part of what's going on with reciprocity. We as humans feel so strongly that we need to maintain equality in a relationship. So yeah, we're really, really sensitive to experiences where we feel like we've put some value into somebody and they haven't exchanged it back with us. So these people who are like, always takers, for instance, you know, that we have a term for that. We know when somebody is constantly taking from us and we're giving. So we, we keep track of that equality somewhat. I guess the other part for me is that when I'm thinking of gift giving or gift receiving, then there are people who I know earn a fair amount of money and therefore actually to show me their relationship, it's not actually about the physical value of the service or product or whatever it is they bought, because I know that they've got a lot of money. But if they gave me something that was more time-related that they personally had to put time into, then that would probably mean more to me than an expensive gift. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was my question too. Like, when you talk about resources, it's not just money, is it? I mean, what are the resources that people kind of evaluate when they're evaluating a gift? So money is the one that we talk about, but it can also be the amount of effort. Did I look long and hard for something that you want? Did I go out of my way to get it? That kind of thing. So there's an effort piece. And then there's this other thing that's basically like, how well do you know me? How much did you put effort into even inferring what I wanted? Now, to your point, Colin, there is actually research that recipients have a preference or actually like 
the experience gifts more than product gifts. Givers don't actually anticipate that very well, but recipients do have a preference for experiential gifts. So what would that be like if I bought you a ticket to a concert, for example? Yeah, ticket to a concert or a massage. You know, we have this bias where we think that everybody wants a thing. And also there's this part of us that thinks that a thing will be remembered longer because you'll reference it or you'll see it more. But actually, researchers show that recipients prefer these experiential gifts. Even though you don't use it on a daily basis, your recollection of it is more positive. And that could therefore sort of deepen relationships. Yeah, it really can, because experiences generally are more relational than than products. Yeah, and then I guess it also, if the person goes with them, so again, I'm thinking back to my corporate life where we used to have corporate events and stuff like that, where you are going and taking the client and therefore getting to know the client and therefore building the relationship based upon whatever it was that you were doing. Right. So if you are encouraging like a, an event that both of you attend, it's again, it's another way of giving something that is really about propelling the relationship into the future. I do remember, this could be an English thing. Have you ever heard of badminton? Not the racket sport badminton, but the event badminton. I've only heard of the racket. The racket sport, for sure. Ah, okay. So there's this event in uh, England called badminton, which is basically like horse trials, uh, equestrian event. Did you guys run out of words? <laughs> Why is that the same word? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a very good question, but I don't know yeah, the fair. answer to that. <laughs> and I, I remember I was in the sales team and we got this great big list of things around that we could invite our clients to. And I remember talking to this guy and he was basically saying, he said, he said, I can't understand because it, it said, you know, this type of client, this is what the event is. And this is the dress code for this event, you know? And he said, I can't understand why I've been asked to wear gum boots or Wellington boots to a badminton event. <laughs> and obviously he was, what they actually was talking about was going to some horse trials and therefore walking, walking over muddy puddles and stuff like that. And therefore you need to wear gum boots. He was thinking of the badminton event, which is racket sports, and he couldn't understand why you needed to wear gumboots to a, to a racket event. It's a common problem. I remember I invited somebody once to a soccer game, but when I said it was a soccer game, it was actually skydiving. I just used the same word for both. <laughs> because I'm English. Yeah, we ha- l- listen, whose language is this, man? That's what I want to ask you. take over. It's awesome. <laughs> let beyond philosophy help you discover what your customers really want not what they say they want by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real roi contact beyond philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact that's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact so I think this is a nice transition to my next question, Morgan, which is when does gift giving go wrong? So when does it backfire? When does it not strengthen the relationship? What do people do wrong? First of all, most of the research on gift giving is about how givers and recipients are misaligned. So almost every time it goes wrong, if you look at the research, that's what you would sort of come away with. And this is why all the gift researchers are so miserable all the time. <laughs> 
that's exactly why. Okay. (laughs) That's why givers and recipients come away from these exchanges, like generally disappointed on both sides. (laughs) And it's weird because, you know, as givers, we've also been recipients. So it doesn't appear that we take those lessons and then... We should be calibrated on that. Yeah, we should know, right? So anyway, there's lots of ways it can go wrong. And mostly the big ones are that givers have a really tough time knowing what recipients value. So for instance, I I just gave that example of recipients valuing experiences more and givers wanting to give products more, for instance. But the research I did for my dissertation was about whether people want the items that they themselves put on their own gift registry. And what we found is that the closer you are to the recipient, the less likely you will be to actually buy the gifts that they tell you explicitly they want because you've put them on your own gift registry. So, And that really goes back to this agenda we have about showing people that we can pick items for them better than they can pick for themselves. And it really disappoints recipients. If you're getting married, you should actually invite your like parents' neighbors because they'll actually buy you what you want. They will buy you what you want. <laughs> when you invite your friends, they're going to go off the list. and yeah, They're going to buy you what they think you want. Yes, they buy you what they think you might want, but didn't remember to put on your registry. (laughs) And generally is not what you would want. If anybody here is married and did a registry, you have those gifts that you were like, what was that person thinking? Where does ethics come into all of this? So again, I'm thinking of a scenario where a customer sees it as some form of bribe. And so I'm not talking about a small pen, but you wear... Somebody thinks that, you know, actually it's totally inappropriate that they should be given a gift. So I think that comes back in under this idea that we keep things equal. So if I give you a big gift, then there's some indication that you should return a big gift. And actually, this came up with drug rep who are selling to doctors. And now they've really been boxed in a little bit on what they can buy. And what they had the ability to do because they were working for big drug companies was bring doctors on these really extravagant trips. And doctors, of course, are are just as sensitive to reciprocity as anyone else. And so they felt that they were then at some level compelled to write prescriptions for these certain drugs. So this can really wander into ethical territory and all sorts of companies where you are being incentivized in different ways through quote gifts but then you do in some way oh the giver something and a lot of this reciprocity happens at kind of a non-conscious level too so it's not like i think oh now i i have to prescribe this drug instead there's this kind of like gentle pressure psychically that just causes you to lean towards that if, if you're on the fence between these two drugs you know I, I feel like i should do this one and part of that is that reciprocity feeling happening on some non-conscious level often. Absolutely. Right. And beyond that, you know, you're, you're building relationships, which again, might guide your decisions towards one or another, because, you know, you have a friendship now, you're giving each other gifts. So let's tie this into the initial question from the emailer. He was asking specifically around corporate gifts. So a lot of the research that's been done is obviously around interpersonal giving, how people give within personal relationships. Is there research on corporate gift giving or how might it differ if if there's not very much of it? So there's actually very limited research on corporate giving. And there's probably about 
oh gosh, there's like one paper I can think of. And really it talks about how do you give small gifts to consumers. And really they're talking about free sampling more than gift giving, but they're looking at it through a gift giving lens. I am actually working on a paper right now about how firms might give gifts to their employees. How do they do that appropriately? Where can they go wrong? And we're finding there's all sorts of times where these items they give are actually more offensive than they are items that would actually create relationships between employer and employee. Can you give us an example? I can give you a personal example from where this study, these studies started. The example is actually from my, my husband. He works for a financial company and he had been working really hard for several months on a particular project. And as the project was nearing the end, his company, his boss said that they were all going to get gifts to recognize their hard work. And so he <laughs> spent a few days daydreaming about this amazing gift they were going to get. And it was going to be like lots of money, he thought, <laughs> or some amount of money. The CEO came into his office, the office of all these people who had been working, and he handed them out free baseball hats with the company logo on it. Oh, wow. I would have gone for that big time. <laughs> he lost his mind for about a week. <laughs> but then, you know, I put this question out to him like, well, I mean, a company logoed hat is actually more than zero. So technically you should be happy, right? Which, you know, it wasn't a good conversation, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of an interesting phenomenon. So, you know, it's not really that unusual. Companies have lots of swag and they think, ah, oh, something is better than nothing. But it turns out actually that nothing is sometimes better than something. And is that based around expectations? What drives the backlash, I guess? Okay, so what we think drives the backlash is that when gifts come spontaneously, which is sort of what happened here, he, they, he didn't have to get a gift people read into those gifts because the giver doesn't have to give anything. So they're doing it with some agenda. And therefore, when you get a gift that is far below your standards, you feel devalued. And ultimately, that feeling of devaluing you from the giver makes you feel less attached rather than more attached, where if you had no gift, you wouldn't make all of those big inferences and you wouldn't feel less attached. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, this doesn't happen in normative conditions, actually. Define normative conditions, Dr. Mord, PhD. Yes, I will define those. This doesn't happen when there's a gift that's expected. So if I give you a sort of token gift for a birthday, oftentimes you'll be like, even though that's not a great gift, you recognize this. That's part of your social obligation to me. And you actually think about things just about as the same as if I had given you nothing at all. So it doesn't hurt our relationship, but it doesn't help it either. But you don't look into this gift and think, oh, she thinks so poorly of me. Your inference is more, oh, she did the thing she had to do. It was my friend. I used to go to school with this guy called Brian. We've known each other, obviously, since those times, so a long time. I decided that I was going to buy Brian a model of every car that he's had ever since I've known him. So 17, you know, I don't know, 40 years or something stupid. <laughs> and um, so I, well, I was on Amazon and everywhere else uh, looking up all these cars. I tell you what, I wish I'd never, ever thought of that idea because it took me about 400 hours 
to research every car, what model it was, and then buy it and finally source it and everything else. And then it turns out that I got all the wrong colours of the cars. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's when gift giving is not a good idea. I regret that to this day. But there you go. I was going to say, in terms of resources, that that should have been highly appreciated because that's very thoughtful, very personal, very resource intensive in terms of time consuming. You just don't know Brian, mate. That's the problem. I was going to say, is it it just that maybe Brian is a gift researcher and therefore always unhappy? Yeah. And the other good news is he doesn't listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could give him one of those paternalistic gifts, which is an MP3 player loaded with just copies of the Intuitive Customer Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that would bore him to that. I'll have to do Plug that. Plug that into the port of your 82 Gremlin. So what's the sort of the so what of this then? So what does this mean that we need to do so again let's get practical what does it mean you need to do you need to do a little perspective taking and remember what it's like to be a recipient when you're a giver oftentimes we forget what it's like to receive gifts when we're buying these gifts and i think that would actually help us a lot in determining what to buy if you think you wouldn't like in a monogram tat after doing three months of work then you probably shouldn't give a monogram tat <laughs> as a gift to somebody, right? Um, So we can do a little perspective taking. The other thing is, I think we should check in with our own kind of agendas when we're giving gifts, because if you are honest with yourself about what you really want to express, because of course, gifts are an embodiment of some sort of relationship. I think if you're honest with yourself, you end up buying gifts that are less about what you need to say and more about what the what the recipient actually needs. So for instance, I have gone from after my dissertation work, which is supposed to be objective and not prescriptive at all, I have gone from going off registry to actually buying people things that they spent days and days picking out for themselves. And now I think I'm a much better wedding gift purchaser. So I think if you think about what you really want to say, you can do it even within those constraints. And you just write a really nice card about how happy that you hope they are when they get married, right? So you can do these expressions, these personal expressions in other ways. Yeah, good point. Ryan, your key takeaways? Yeah, I I find this, the advice to take the other person's perspective sounds so basic. Like, of course, people would naturally do that. But I mean, the research suggests that they don't. And I remember being in a role once where I had to give, you know, a corporate gift of some kind. And generally, you are focused entirely internally. <laughs> it's it's what is my budget? All right. What are the things that I can afford within my budget? All right. Well, what, what are our goals? Well, we want to have our, our corporate logo on it somewhere. That perspective of how would I feel if I actually received this? And, you know, do I need another stress ball? Buttering my desk with some corporate logo on it. I think that often we chase kind of what's available and trendy in corporate gift giving as opposed to, as Morgan said, taking a step back and trying to figure out what would it be like to receive this and, and kind of what are our ultimate goals. Good. The, the couple of things I thought was, was really practical is one is giving people experiences 
actually helps deepen the relationship. And I think that's good news for Peter, actually, because if my memory serves me correctly, he said that he's in personalized gift experiences, which is good news. Well, if we misremembered, maybe he should think about getting into that because that sounds like a good area. (laughs) Good point. Second thing is, I think this goes back to knowing your customer. So if you want to give something personalized to your customer, by definition, You've got to know them personally and know some of the things that make them tick, et cetera. And just a little tip on that. I always remember one thing I was taught was to look around the customer's office and see what they had on their desks and what the pictures were and stuff like that, because those things sort of reveal some of the things that are in, that are important to them. I'd like to give any Americans some advice, which is if you come to England, badminton isn't just about that racket sport. And if you're invited to wear gumboots, you'll now know the reason why. I mean, we know two of the things that badminton stands for. It could be any number of things. It's also (laughs) a shooting sport. There you go. Also a nickname for zip lining. The English are insane. That's one thing I'd like (laughs) us all to get out of this podcast. And I've got one last question for Morgan. (laughs) What should I buy my wife for Christmas? (laughs) It's an impossible question. Check her registry. Good point. Well made. Great. Well, thank you very much, uh, Morgan, for joining us. That was really insightful and certainly made me think about what gifts I should be buying people and all, all that stuff. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Any gifts that anybody wants to give us? <laughs> <laughs> You can just go go to that website and you'll find our address now, Mini Jacket. Morgan, is there research on obnoxious solicitation of gifts? <laughs> I think that's a real area. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining everybody and cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.